So this morning's reading comes from Colossians chapter 3. This might be found on page 1184 in the Church Bible. Colossians chapter 3, beginning to read at verse 1. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry, Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly, as you teach and admonish one another, with all wisdom, through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be. Thank you, Faye. And I haven't actually said good morning to everybody, so good morning to one and all, and uh, it's great to be with you. I remember 
um, another point in this series, right at the beginning of the series, I mentioned that often in life we can get mistaken for other people and that uh, a number of times someone has come up to me and called me Mark insistently that they thought that I was a spitting image of someone called Mark. They continued to call me Mark uh, and, and not forget that. And so I became known to them as Mark, whatever it was. Within my own little world, I kind of thought, I wonder what Mark is doing. I hope Mark doesn't get done by the police. And actually, in the photo fit that comes up on it, people from this parish take the call and say, that's the vicar. <laughs> Uh, and all those kind of things, but that kind of idea of mistaken identity. But you know, it's one thing to be mistaken for somebody else. It's another thing completely to have a mistaken identity of your own. I read an article recently uh, about the millionaires next door. The newspaper writer talked about a couple who had lived next door to them, who retired and had lived for 30 years next door to them in what um, we could call essentially a caravan in the countryside. And they'd spent their life in this caravan in the countryside. The husband and wife would rarely, rarely go from their caravan, but when they did, he would drive in a 40-year-old car, he would not go above 40 miles an hour, and he would potter along into town to do his different chores. He'd go at 40 miles an hour because he wanted to save money on his petrol. His wife would buy her clothes from car boot sales and from jumble sales in churches. She would take plastic bags with her when she went, uh, for example, if she managed to go out to a restaurant, she'd go to an all-you-can-eat buffet and would layer it all up and then take extras, get get them packed up and put them in her bag and bring them back home so she could eat it through the rest of the week. To save money on a trip to Greece for their holiday, they uh, went on a cargo ship because it was cheaper. What the neighbours didn't know was that this couple were worth four million pounds in cash. Not in property, they had four million pounds worth of cash in their bank accounts. When the husband died, the wife, uh, a lady called Edith, began suffering from a series of health issues. She had Parkinson's, she suffered a stroke, but she absolutely refused to spend any money on her own health. For example, she was trying to persuade her that actually it, it would benefit her to spend something on her health, to use some of her fortune. Her carer, her nurse, knew that they were wealthy, and said to her, why don't you get some help? She tried to persuade her to buy one of those electric wheelchairs that would enable her to get about. But Edith refused. She said that was far too expensive. And her carer said to her, but Edith, you have enough money to buy a fleet of Rolls Royces. But Edith wouldn't budge. She said, no, no, no. To the end of her life, she pinched her pennies. She had a poverty mentality that lasted a whole lifetime, even though she was rich beyond compare. 
knowing who you are. Knowing who you are. We're doing a series from Paul's letter to the Colossians. And it's a big picture book, and we've arrived at chapter 3. And in chapter 3, the Apostle Paul, if you have it open in front of you, that might help you this morning. It lays out in, this, in these verses the way to grow as a Christian. I'm actually only going to spend uh, this morning looking at the first 11 verses, the harder stuff, uh, the good stuff. There's so much packed in here, but I'll tell you a little bit about that when we get to the end of the service. The false teachers that Paul was uh, writing to in here, they said, if you want to grow as a Christian, it needs to start with you. And Paul says, no. Christian growth, spiritual growth, does not start with you. It starts with Christ. Throughout Paul's writing, if you want to grow as a Christian, you need to understand that it starts with Christ. It doesn't start with you. It starts above with God and works down to us as an act of God's grace. And in Colossians 3, Paul says the foundational true, true, go, true growth as a Christian is embracing your identity and recognizing who you are in Christ. So let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for all you've done for us. Thank you for the confidence we can have in what you have done and continue to do for us. Would you open our eyes to see you afresh this morning, to see more clearly who we are and whose we are. In Jesus' name, amen. So Paul, um, in this passage, if you go to the preceding uh, chapter in verses 20 and 23, it said that that you need to have a Christ-centered approach to your Christian life. It says, don't submit, says Paul, in verses 20 to 23 in chapter 2, to the rules. Don't live a rules-based life. A rules-based approach to Christian growth will lead to frustration, to disappointment, to not to Christ-likeness. But if you want to grow, you need to center your life on Christ. For Paul, the only way to grow as a Christian is to keep Christ at the very center of our existence. So a Christian very clearly as he writes to these Christians in Colossae is this. It's someone who's moved from having a rules-based approach to their life in their Christian faith. You know, I've got to keep all those rules, I've got to do all these kind of things to please God. To a Christ-centered identity, when you realize that to grow as a Christian is to grow in your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not a matter of simply obeying this rule or that rule or whatever it is. The Christian life is all about growing in a relationship of love with Jesus Christ, who is a real person. And Paul starts with this foundation, Christ-centered existence. He uses the phrase, with Christ, you'll notice, four times at the end of Colossians 2 in Colossians 2.20, but then in verse 1, verse 3, and verse 4. With Christ, with Christ, with Christ, with Christ, says Paul. A Christian is someone who is with Christ. You'll be with Christ when you die. If you put your trust in Christ and are relying on him to save you from your sins and from the judgment of God, you'll be with Christ when you die. The Bible says this 
in so many places. It's the assurance we have as Christians that our future is sure, our future is certain because we are with Christ. Loved ones, many of whom we celebrate today, many who've been in the military, who've died, are with Christ. They're with Christ in eternity. When Jesus was on the cross, you'll remember, there were two people either side of him. One was a penitent thief. Both were thieves, but one was a penitent thief. One of the thieves rejected him. One of them turned to him at the very last moment of breath. The penitent thief on the cross looked at Christ on the cross and recognized who he was and asked Christ to save him. We need to remember it's never too late to turn to Christ. It's never too late to turn our lives towards Christ and give our lives to Christ. Yet for us in Scripture, we know that's not just, not just a promise for the future, that we think we get to heaven and it all gets good. But we also see the promise is for now. You are with Christ now. The founder of the Salvation Army, General William Booth, had a daughter who um, came to Switzerland in 1882 to found a branch of the Salvation Army in 1882. And at that time, the Salvation Army in Switzerland was actually illegal. So she was thrown in jail. She was thrown in jail for helping street people, for caring for those who were hungry, for feeding the, the poor and trying to help the sick. But here are the words William Boo's daughter wrote while she was in prison. Best beloved of my soul, I am here along with thee, and my prison is a heaven, since thou sharest it with me. Wicked men may persecute me, banishing to solitude. They should know my joy is Jesus, whom they never understood. At his voice my gloom disperses, heavenly sunshine takes its place. Bars and bolts cannot withhold him. Hide from me his lovely face. Right now, whether you're in prison, whether you're in hospital, you can be with Christ. Whether you're in church here today, you can be with Christ. You can be with Christ in the gym, in your workplace this coming week, in your office about what you do in your leisure. No matter where you find yourself, you can be with Christ. Paul writes that right now, we are with Christ, sharing in the four major events of Christ's life. His death, his resurrection, his ascension, and his return. And all, we, and all that we do, we do with Christ. So firstly, in Colossians 2.20, we are with Christ in his death. See, it's in Colossians 2.20, it says, Since you died with Christ, have a look at the verses in front of you. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Since you died with Christ. A Christian is someone who's died with Christ, who has been crucified with Christ. It's really graphic language. It's really graphic language. 
imagery. But it's not just a picture or a metaphor. To be a Christian means that you've experienced in yourself a death, a crucifixion, an end, a final decisive break from your old way of life and from sin, from the things that dominate your life and master you. You've died and your relationship to everything else changes because of that. So Paul says in verse 1 and verse 2 of Colossians 3, you are with Christ in his resurrection. So not only is it the bad things, it says since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. That's verse 1 and 2 of Colossians 3. So not only do we, are we crucified with Christ, where the old way of life is put to death, but we are raised with Christ, says Paul. We get to receive the resurrection life of God himself through Christ and in Christ. We get to experience forgiveness. We get to experience cleansing. We get to experience peace. We get to experience joy. We get to experience freedom in place of that old way of life of pain and division. And we get to receive through his spirit, life in all its fullness. For Christians, we are raised with Christ. There's a new power at work in our lives. The power that raised Christ from the dead. And learning to tap into that power is the key to assisting us when each of us in our lives, when you leave this church, will face different temptations. No, the thing that I'm facing the temptation that I'm facing or the things, the circumstances that I'm facing in my life are not bigger than the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They are not bigger than the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I am raised with Christ, says Paul. You are raised with Christ. A new amazing power is at work in your life for those united in and to Christ. And then in verse 3, Colossians 3, 3, you'll see, For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. I love this phrase, that you and I are hidden with Christ. It's a beautiful phrase. I'll say something right at the end of the service. We Christians do have a hidden life. So many places in the world, there are Christians who are a, a tiny minority. They're harassed. They're hounded. They're persecuted, and they seem to have no power to influence their surroundings. Jesus' life, it says in John's Gospel, was a hidden life. He went about this world unacknowledged, unrecognized, unreceived. So there is a mystery, remember, to the Christian life. We look at ourselves and we think that Maybe no change has taken place in your life. I don't know what you feel about your own Christian life. And you think, well, have I received that resurrection power? Do I see the change in the life that I expect to see as part of being with Christ or with God? But pretty much, I can guarantee you, sometimes there are hidden things in your life that you don't see, that other people will see, that are inexplicable other than that you are in Christ that pushes you to behave and to start to behave in a way that can't be explained just through human things. 
For example, you choose to reconcile with someone who's hurt you, who's damaged you, and who's broken you. You take the initiative. You refuse to cut corners in your job like everybody else in your workplace does. You say, no, this is the standard that I'm going to keep because I'm living for God. Your life is hidden with Christ, the life that nobody else sees. You currently are sharing in God's life. And one day, just like when we beat her with God forever, that life will no longer be hidden. And then in verse 4, you'll see, with, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Remember, the secret will one day be out. Christ will return with unveiled glory. And then all who, don't, uh, who do not recognize him now will recognize him as he is. They will see the glory of God and in the face of Jesus Christ will be known for who we are. We are God's children, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, member of God's family. What an amazing privilege it is to say that. So Paul says that the key to growing as a Christian is recognizing who you are. By faith you are joined to Christ in his death and his resurrection, his ascension and his coming again. And the extent to which you don't get to grips with that and believe that who you are, that that's who you are in Christ, you're going to probably behave in a way that you shouldn't really behave in. And it's out of this identity then that Paul said, therefore, and it's captured in verses 1 and 2, he says three things. Firstly, we're going to look at it briefly. Firstly, um, set your hearts and your minds on things above. One of the practical applications of our new identity is that the whole direction of our life changes. People who have new identities uh, set their hearts and minds on what God wants, not on their own life and their own desires. A great illustration of that was uh, put in, um, some of you may have heard of an American pastor called Rick Warren, who's written one of the most prolific books uh, called The Purpose Driven Life. And he uses an illustration of that. It's, so he says this to try and help us as Christians. He says, you have to imagine that you're in a speedboat on a lake and it has an automatic pilot that goes due east. Which way is due east? That way-ish. That way-ish. So you're on an automatic pilot on a lake and basically the, the, um, the speedboat is going to go due east and it goes there. But if you decide that you don't want to be going east and want to go west, forget my directions for a second, let's say that's west, you've got a number of choices. What most of us do is what we do is we grab hold of the wheel and with all our might, all our power, all our willpower, we say, I am going to try really, really hard to turn that wheel round so that I manage to go from east and start going west. I summon all my resources to turn this speedboat round. And I go, and for a while, you're going in the right direction. And it looks good. And you're heading in the right direction. And you think, well, that's great. But the problem with that is this is eventually we get tired. 
eventually our energy runs out. Eventually that we don't realize we've got the strength because it's exhausting trying to battle an autopilot that's trying to go that way when we want to go that way. And eventually our strength fails, our willpower fails, and eventually the boat by itself turns its way around and starts going east again. And you go exhausted. And that's what happens when we try to change our lives by our own willpower. You say, I'm going to force myself. I'm going to force myself to eat less. I'm going to force myself to drink less. I'm going to force myself to cut out uh, the bad habit that's in your life that you know you really don't want to do. I'm going to go on a, new, a diet in the new year or whatever else it is. I'm going to stop smoking. I'm going to do whatever it is we always say. And the issue is willpower can only produce short-term gains. But the only way to produce long-term transformation is actually to change the autopilot. Is actually to spend our energy just changing our autopilot. And Paul describes this about changing our hearts and our minds. And the New Testament description of this is called repentance. The Greek word that's used is metanoia, to change our minds, to change our hearts, to change the whole direction of our lives and our thinking, away from the old way and towards God. So you say, I'm a, instead of saying, I'm just going to try really hard, just, well, I'm a radically new person. I've joined myself to Christ and I'm in Christ. So I don't approach any subject in my life. I don't approach the topic of sex or work or my appearance or politics, the environment or ch- church, excuse me, in the same way. My life is completely new. To the Corinthians, Paul puts it like this. Therefore, if anybody is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. See, our character for us this morning and my character, your character and my character are fundamentally issues of our hearts and our minds. Jesus tells us in the Sermon on the Mount that actually if bitterness, if lust, if anger, if jealousy, if anxiety is consuming our lives, the first implication is that it's not a sign of the Spirit of God at work. In other words, the first is that we need to, to center on our new identity, to bring our hearts, our minds, our whole selves in line with who God says we are and our new identity in Christ. Secondly, Paul says, if we read again in verses 5 to 8, let me just read verses 5 to 8 in front of you um, in Colossians 3. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Back in April 2003, a rock climber called Aaron Ralston was climbing in Utah's Blue John Canyon when he became trapped by an 800-pound boulder 
that had shifted and crushed his hand and was pinning him to the canyon wall. For six days, Aaron Ralston hung there, struggling to free himself from being trapped next to this wall by this boulder, warding off dehydration and a hypothermia. He was absolutely trapped with nobody to help him. And because the concept of understanding that he was absolutely trapped and he was facing certain death, he chose one final option, which made him an international sensation. Using a tool from his climbing belt, Aaron Ralston amputated his own right hand and repelled to freedom. And here are his words that he said at the time. When I amputated, I felt every bit of it. It hurt to break the bone and to cut the nerve. But cutting the mus muscle was not as bad. Overall, it was a hundred times worse than any pain I've felt before. It recalibrated what I've understood pain to be. But at the same time, it was also the most beautiful thing I've ever felt as he managed to go to freedom. I can't think of a better description of what it looks like and feels like to put a cherished sin in your life to death. You look at your own life this morning, maybe, and you say, do you know I've got this habit, I've got this thing in my life that is destroying my life, it's effectively killing all the life of God in me. And it's inconsistent with my new identity in Christ. But to get rid of it and to overcome it is not going to be a bloodless, easy thing. I wonder whether this morning you can think of things in your life that you know need to be put to death in your life. The way you use your tongue, what you do, some of the habits you've developed, some of the things you choose to do. But some of those cherished things are difficult to shift. And it's by bringing them to Christ in relationship with God that we say, Lord, we put it to death. Interestingly, Paul mentions two things that we should put to death in particular, one of which is sexual impurity, the other is greed. And those issues are just as relevant to us today as in Paul's time. They're not just issues with politicians in Westminster or celebrities in Hollywood. One church leader uh, has defined greed in a really helpful way, I think, for me. Greed is desiring something so much that you lose your contentment in God. Greed is desiring so much that you lose your contentment in God. What we're effectively saying by greed is that what God has given us is not enough. What God has given us in my life, what you and I have in our lives today is not enough. I need, I need, I need, I need, I want, I want, I want, I want. In fact, the heart of sin is an attitude that we look at God and we say, sorry God, but what you've given me is not enough. It's not good enough. And we see this throughout scripture as a human condition. We see it with Adam and Eve, we see it with David and Bathsheba, Never Enough, could be the title of the Israelites in the Old Testament. I wonder whether you see this attitude in yours and my life 
today? Where do you manifest discontentment and greed? Despite the many blessings each of us can count and enjoy in our life, where is it you spend your time regularly grumbling and complaining, not good enough? I wonder whether it's in your work or your marriage or actually it's about how you feel about the church. This morning, let's put it to death. Finally, Paul says in verses 9 to 11 these words, Do not lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Paul is bringing us back to our essential identity in this put-off, put-on metaphor that many of us will have seen before in the Bible. Paul is reminding the Colossians of their baptism. When you were baptized, they literally took off their old clothes and put on a new robe. Paul is saying to the Colossians, live out your baptism. Take off your old way of life. And when you're under the water, you are washed clean, dying to the old way of life and rising to new life with Christ. A whole new way of life, full of the life of God, full of the love of God, full of the peace of God, full of the joy of the kingdom of God. Live as a child of God that's beloved of God, an heir of the kingdom of God. No longer, we don't any longer live as a pauper in the kingdom of this world. We live as a, an heir with God and a co-heir with Christ. As one writer lives it, any Christian when they count the blessings can say, I live as a trillionaire in the kingdom of God. Do we live like we are inheritors of that? And that's what Paul is challenging us to. Do we put it on? Do we put on all that God, and through the next verses, Paul goes on to talk about those things. Will you take hold of that new life of God in your life? Will you breathe it? Will you live it? And for us this morning, if you want to grow as a Christian, we need to embrace our identity in Christ. If you've trusted in Christ, you're with Christ in his death, with Christ in his, his resurrection, with Christ in his ascension, and with Christ in his glorious return. This is who we are. Get rid of everything this morning that has gone consistent with his new identity and take in and receive the fullness of the life of God who longs to come to you, longs to breathe his life in and through you as a children, as a child of God. Amen. Going to, uh, there's a number of ways I'm going to encourage you to respond uh, this morning, but one of which is to see this video which we're going to see first.
if you know um, it's something that you want to take further, would like to take my, I've got a little gift, but I've also got a challenge this morning for you as part of identity. We haven't, that didn't look particularly from verses 12 to 17, but I'd like to offer you this morning is we can do as much as we can here on a Sunday uh, in terms of our worship, but actually when you get into the world, um, you make choices to make about how you spend your time. I'd like to encourage you in your own personal discipleship to say, who am I in Christ? Um, I, to give away, I bought um, some books for anybody who'd like one. And it's a 30-day reflection on these 17 verses in Colossians 3. So it'll take you five or six minutes each day. That's all it'll take you to read through. And then there's a little prayer at the end. If you want to spend more time meditating on what it means to be God's beloved child, to be in Christ, be hidden with him, then I encourage you to take a copy. Uh, James is going to lead us in worship, and then Claudia will lead us in worship in a minute. Come forward, take a copy. It's free, you can take it. But the commitment is, for the next 30 days, I'm going to spend time and read it. That's the deal. I'm going to spend time, spending time with God, seeing who I am, and take time to do that. So we're going to stand, we're going to pray in a second, and worship during that time, if you'd like to take one. And you want to commit for the next 30 days to spend time looking at Colossians 3 and meditating on it? Take a copy. I did promise to give you a new book. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, this morning we recognize the challenges in each one of our lives. That we get distracted, we get taken off the path, we go our own way. We get lost. Lord, would you bring us back again to you? to make you the very centre of our life, our existence. To make you our first love. You above all things. And Father, I pray two things. One, that you would enable those this morning who they know the stuff in their life they want to get rid of. That you would come and you'd clean them up and make them new. And for those this morning who are sat not really believing, can they really believe that they are a child of the living God? Father, would you pour out your love afresh by your Spirit? Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit. Minister your grace afresh to us that we'd realize who we are in you. In Jesus' name, amen.